So, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good. Thank you, Adam, for responding to that. You're very good. No one ever says good morning. It's not. It's very impolite. I know. Thank you. Very good. So, for those of you new around here, I'm Alex Absalom. I'm one of the pastors here. We're going to jump into our message now. And so, you want to get your Bibles out or get them on your phone. We're going to jump around to a few different passages. Um, we're going to pray, uh, and it's good to pray. One of the reasons we're going to pray is because I uh, had a wonderful message all worked out for today. Very good. You'd have loved it. Um, but uh, I feel like the Lord's told me to talk on something else. So I've got some excellent notes written on the back of the bulletin um, uh, on a theme which something God's been speaking to me about for a while, and I feel like uh, that's what he's put He's just kind of said, this is actually what we need to do this morning. So bear with me. It might be a little bit sketch, as the teenagers amongst my family would say, because uh, I'm down and hip and with the young people. So I could say words like that. So it might be sketch in places, but uh, hopefully there'll be some good stuff in there. You know, as the old saying goes, it's a pretty poor chicken that can't find a grain of wheat in a dung pile. So hopefully there'll be something good in there that you can benefit from. So with that high bar of expectation set, uh, I'm going to pray now and ask the Lord for his mercy. So, so Lord Jesus, it's wonderful to know you and to encounter you and to draw close to you. Thank you for the opportunity we have this morning uh, to meet with you and to be with you. And so we pray now that as we uh, look at the Bible together, that we would hear your voice, that you would be speaking to each of us individually, that we would hear what it is you're saying. We pray that you would give gifts of faith that would be birthed in our hearts, so we would have faith to obey what it is you're saying to us. And we also pray, Lord, for us as a, as a family, as a community, that you would be speaking to us together in a corporate sense as well, and uh, stirring us up to follow you with uh, even greater passion and energy and zeal. And so, Lord, we pray that um, what's shared now over these, these coming minutes would really glorify you and would equip us to follow you more wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so the thing that I want to speak about is valleys and mountaintops, and particularly uh, what it's like when we're in a valley. So we're going to start in perhaps the most famous valley in the Bible, which comes in Psalm 23. So if you want to get your Bibles open to Psalm 23... Uh, and I'm going to read to you a couple of lines from there. So we read, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm just going to stop there. So uh, we all have times when it feels like we're on the mountaintop. And when you're on the mountaintop, you're in this place uh, which is uh, full of excitement. It feels a place of uh, uh, great things are happening. You get this fantastic view. You look around. It feels like a place of success, a place of breakthrough where good things are coming together. There's, there's fruit that's happening. It feels energizing. And, you know, you have those times, don't you, in life where it feels like that. Anyone ever had a kind of mountaintop type experience? Just me and about three people. Raise a hand. Go on. Be bold. All right. So hopefully most of you have mountaintop experience. But then also we have these valley experiences. And in the valley experience, uh, what happens, it, it feels like a time of trial. It feels like a time perhaps of failure. 
at times of disappointment, of hurt. Maybe things have happened to you which you can't explain, which have been deeply wounding. Maybe things that you've done where you've messed up. Maybe things it's just life and life happens. Uh, but we have these valley experiences as well in our lives. I'm sure all of us have had times when it's felt like you've been stuck in the valley. And um, one of the things that happens is that we can have a tendency to want to jump from mountaintop to mountaintop to mountaintop in our life. I don't know about you, but I, I, I would like to live like that. All right? Have the superpower to go from mountaintop to, to avoid all the valleys. Um, but here's the problem. Um, when we do that, if we try and do that, we will actually miss out on a lot of what God has for us. Because some of the things that we can learn about God can only be learnt when we're in the valley. Some of the experiences that God has for us, some of the revelation he has of who he is and how he operates, we will only get to truly comprehend and experience when we're in the valley. And more than that, when we're in the valley, we actually learn how to embrace and to hear what God is saying to us in that place. Uh, Let's just look at Psalm 23, because I think David gives us a a few interesting notes. Particularly verse 4 is what I want to focus on. Uh, So he says uh, this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley... And it's interesting, if you go back to the original Hebrew, this was written in, the word, the, what we have as two words, darkest valley, is literally one word, and it means um, uh, death shadow, is the phrase. It means death shadow, it's actually one word, it means death shadow. And, and so what he's saying is, I'm in a valley that feels like death shadow. I'm in death shadow valley. And probably many of us, if not all of us, have times where it feels like that's the place you've been in. It feels like just where is God even it feels like the enemy is is getting victory after victory and you feel like you're stuck in that place uh, a couple of things one just pull out for you and I'll, I'll tease it together uh, further on he says your rod and your staff they comfort me and it's interesting with with a shepherd uh, at that time uh, they would have had uh, several tools with them one would have been like a a club which is what the rod refers to and that would have been a weapon uh, of protection so, you know, if wild animals came along, they could beat them off and all the rest of it. Uh, and also, it was a weapon of, it was a tool of discipline. So one thing a shepherd might do is if they had a sheep that would wander away a lot, a younger sheep, a lamb or whatever, um, and it wouldn't come back, wouldn't stay with the flock, eventually the shepherd would take his club, his or her club, and break the leg of the lamb and then, and then splint it so it would grow back healthy. But while it was in that place of vulnerability, uh, the shepherd would carry the lamb over their neck. And so in that time of healing, the lamb actually grew incredibly close to the shepherd and became a loyal follower and would, wouldn't run off again. And so that's, that's you know, obviously it's an interesting word picture of some stuff that God might do in our lives. But then you have the staff as well, and the staff is the thing of, of support and uh, of strengthening and of setting of direction. And God has both those things in our lives. Then David says this, he says, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. Uh, And what we hear there is David making a choice. He's saying, I'm going to choose not to fear any evil. And you know, when we're in the valley place, fear becomes a very dominating force in our lives. Uh, It could be the fear of what is, or it could be the fear of what could be. But um, the enemy will often try and use fear to control us, to manipulate us, to freeze us, or, or whatever else. And um, all of us have had experiences like that, again, where it's the what-ifs or what-abouts or 
I've run out of energy for this, I can't do it again. And, and it'll come perhaps language like that, but, and, but it, it's this fear thing that grips us. And David has a very interesting response, I'm going to come back to it later on. Uh, but here he says, I will fear no evil. Uh, and then he says, uh, for you are with me. And his, his understanding of how he's going to get through this valley is a recognition that it all depends on God's presence. The fact that God is with him. He's not in it by himself. And uh, it, it, that itself, this sense of, well, God is with me. Well, then the question is, well, what kind of God is God? And he's saying, God is a good God. God is a God I can trust. That's the implication, that, you know, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. And so it's this understanding that God inherently is a good God and he is trustworthy and we can choose to follow him. So he says, I, w- I have this. So David basically says, I can make the choice to fear no evil because I know you are with me and because I know that you're a good God and I can trust you. You are a, a loving father. And then the last word in, that I want to just tease out of verse four and I'll pull this together, is he says at the very end, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. And that word comfort is a very interesting word uh, because it literally means, um, uh, it means to breathe deeply. It means to breathe deeply. And um, I, I think of it like this. When, when I'm in a fearful place, or perhaps when you're in a fearful place, uh, maybe you're tempted to panic or, or it comes across. What, what happens to your breathing? Have you ever thought about that? You know, we, our breathing gets shallow and rapid and doesn't quite work properly. Uh, I remember when I was 19, I was um, a counsellor on a summer camp in Virginia. And uh, we had uh, one of the groups of kids under my care. Uh, this boy, uh, he, we were doing some activity and he got really panicked out and he started hyperventilating. And there's a whole group of people around and it, no one really knows what to do because we're all kids. And so, but fortunately, I remembered something from a first aid course I'd learned in the Scouts. So I, I saw someone's lunch bag, so I grabbed the bag, dumped the lunch out, made a kind of neck on this paper bag and stuck it over his mouth and said, uh, I want you to f- fill the bag with air and then let it go out. Fill the bag with air and let it go out. And that's an old trick. Many of you will know that, which is by watching the paper bag fill with air, the person actually, they calm their breathing down. I can see Robin, the paramedic, smiling at me. You amateur, Alex. You know. um, but, <laughs> but, you know, the paper, and, and it did, it worked really well. It was a really, I mean, it was quite a cool trick, actually. And uh, see what happened. So that all went well. Next day, uh, one of the other team, one of the other leaders came up to me and said, hey Alex, that, that kid Johnny in your group, um, he had another panic attack down by the pool earlier on. I said, oh, um, what happened? He said, well, this other team member said, well, I, I, I tried your bag trick, but it didn't work. And I said, why was that? He said, it was a plastic bag. <laughs> it's like saran wrapping the child's nostrils and mouth. You know, so, so they quickly stopped that. So don't use plastic bags if you do the paper bag trick, all right? Um, but here's the thing. Uh, we can get into this place of hyperventilating, whether literally or metaphorically, about stuff in our life. And God's comfort comes to us. And God says, it's all right, Alex. Breathe deeply. You can breathe deeply. And I think sometimes when we're looking for God's comfort, we might look for it in ways that he's not going to bring it. But I think, you know, God, give me immediate transport out of this valley. That's not always going to happen. But sometimes his comfort is very simple. It's just him saying, breathe deeply. Breathe deeply. 
deep breaths. One of the things about a valley, of course, is that um, whilst it might be not always a comfortable place to be, it actually can be a place of refreshment. Uh, if you think in nature, when you go out to the countryside, um, if you stop and pause and think, where do you find the streams and the rivers? Are they on the mountaintops or are they in the valleys? They're in the valleys, everyone said. Yes, you're right. They're in the valleys. <laughs> so the waters of God's presence, the waters of God's refreshing, we find those in the valleys. It's interesting that even it might feel like a place we don't want to be, actually there's things we can encounter about God, things of refreshing and renewal, which we can't get purely if we solely remain on the mountaintop. So, so how do we start to embrace this a bit more? How do we start to um, take on board some of what David's talking about here in Psalm 23? And I think we can choose some of the disciplines of the valley in our lives uh, at, at different scales, different time frames. So, for instance, uh, at a daily level, we can choose some of the disciplines of the valley. So it's the time in your day where you... St- so for me, it's in the morning, that, that time with the Lord, that quiet time with God, reading the Bible and praying and, and being in his presence and worshipping. It, it, it's that time there. Uh, one of the things I do um, as a spiritual discipline is I've got a five-year journal. And it's, it's quite cool. So it has, like, for every day of the year, it's got, like, five blocks, five years' worth. And so I'll just... It's, like, four or five lines per day. It's right... And for what I will do with it, uh, I'll just write down some things I'm thinking about or praying about or on my mind for that day in a kind of between me and God. And so that's become like this spiritual discipline of, 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 of in a simple way of journaling in that place. And there's lots of things like that we can do where basically you, you pause in your day and you give that place just for reflection and for, Lord, where, where's your... Where, how do I take a, receive your comfort as I think about life, particularly on the days where life's not going as well or where you're wrestling through something or struggling with how do you, it's, it's forcing you to pause and take that deep breath. So I think you do it on a daily basis. We could do it on a weekly basis, the rhythms of our week, days off and things like that. Uh, perhaps you get a time in the week, a certain day, we can have more time with God or, or whatever and you do the things that recreate and re, uh, renew you. So again, be intentional about those. That's a place where you can embrace the disciplines of the valley. Um, in terms of, uh, again, hearing God and allowing him to, to comfort us, the deep breaths, something Hannah and I do on a seasonal basis, every 90 days as we write, uh, we've got big life goals, but every 90 days we set fresh goals for the next 90 days. And at the end of the 90 days we meet again and we will review what's happened, what's gone well, what hasn't worked, where have we failed, all the rest of it. Uh, and there are all sorts of stuff. It could be just, it, it could be spiritual, it could be career, it could be fitness, it could be dealing with our difficult children. Morning, boys. Um, whatever it is in life, your money, I mean anything, okay, everything's spiritual. So again, that's the thing where you can just, you know, where, where, you think, where, you, where have you got mountaintops, but also where the difficulty is happening. And then I think obviously on an annual basis you can do that, and summer is often a good time for many, but not for everyone I know, but for many people it's a time where you can take a step back and just breathe deeply and look at your life and where's the Lord working. So that, that, that's one angle on this. Um, but one of the things I, I've been thinking about is um, how does God change us when we're in the valley? I've started touching a bit, but I was thinking about how does God change us when we're in the valley? And I want to change analogy and I want to change the Bible passage. So in your Bibles, would you turn up John chapter 15? So we're going to the New Testament, the Gospel of John, 
chapter 15. And uh, the analogy we're going to use here is a well-known one, and it's where Jesus talks about vines and grapes. So chapter 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, where every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. I'm just going to say that verse again because we're going to, this is the one we'll, we'll loop around. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, so I also remain in you, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So, uh, those of you who've grown grapes know that uh, uh, the goal of growing grapes is to produce fruit. It's not to produce a plant with lots and lots of long branches and beautiful leaves and, oh look, I've got these magnificent leaves, aren't I wonderful? And um, no, that's not the point. A good uh, vine dresser will uh, vigorously prune a growing vine in order to force its energies back into its uh, most important uh, branches and then it focuses on producing fruit. And that's, what, that's the goal of it. And in fact, when, when you talk to people who are in the wine industry, uh, when they plant their vines, they will prune them for three years. In fact, they'll even prune off the fruit at first. They won't allow them to do anything. For three. They just want to get them established. And then they're very disciplined about how much they let them grow uh, because <clears throat> that enables the plant, the, the vine, to actually produce the best fruit, the richest tasting fruit. It's not just... Um, it's not so much about quantity, it's about quality. It's what they're looking for. And so they're looking to do it, and the way they do that is by having this vigorous pruning process that goes on with the plant. And uh, what Jesus is saying is that's how God the Father treats us. Okay, quick survey. You can raise a hand if you want this. Hands up if you would like to be fruitful for Jesus. Okay, haha, you've just fallen into a trap. Mmm, cunning, wasn't that? So, if you want to be fruitful for Jesus, that means the Father's going to prune you. Oh God, I've got all these amazing branches on me and these lovely leaves. Aren't they lush and green and large? And I'm so wonderful. And God goes, snip, snip, snip. Chop that off. Chop a bit off over here, something there, here. And you go, it hurts. It's painful. I don't like being, I mean, who likes being pruned? I mean, you'd have to be an idiot to like being pruned. But God does it because he loves us. Back to David in Psalm 23, he is a good shepherd. He is a good father. We can trust him. He prunes us because he wants you and me to be fruitful. He wants you and me to be fruitful for all sorts of reasons, one of which actually is because he wants to be able to reward us. The Bible speaks a lot about this. Uh, he's a father, not a slave master, so he wants to reward us when we get to eternity for the tasks that we've done. And that means he wants us to be more fruitful. But to get to that place, there is this process of pruning that God takes us through. And Jesus says in verse 3, he says, um, I prune you by my word. Uh, as you probably know, uh, there's the word that, verse 2 it talks about, he prunes us. Then verse 3, Jesus says, you're already clean because of the word I've spoken. The word for clean is the same word as the word for prune. It's exactly the same word. It's, and so what he's saying is that somehow... Um, when we are attentive to what Jesus is saying to us, he prunes us, he cleans us, he shapes us, he molds us into who he wants us to be. He helps us to be set up so we can be more fruitful. So, um, so 
What does God's word look like? Well, I think it's this. Um, God speaks to us, because the, the, the sense there is that the now word of God. God speaks to us, obviously through scripture. God speaks to us uh, through the stuff we're reading. Maybe it's even in a conversation. You hear something someone says. Maybe it's a prophetic word, whatever. Uh, obviously, it's, all, it's always going to line up with the Bible. But God speaks to us in these variety of different ways. But there, when you're in the valley, when you're in that valley place, one of the questions I think we need to ask ourselves is, what is Jesus saying to me in this place? What is it that he's trying to get me to learn or, or to grasp? Is it a revelation about who he is? Is it something about uh, who I am? Is it something about direction? Is it something he's wanting to change in me? What is it that Jesus is saying to me? Maybe it's simply a word of hope. Maybe it's a word of grace that we need to hear. Maybe it's a word of challenge. But, but he wants to do that. And Jesus says that um, God will prune us as we respond to his word to us. And that is actually the pathway to fruitfulness. So what do you do when you're stuck in the valley then? Because sometimes we have these uh, stages of life where it feels like we're just stuck and nothing much is happening. Uh, so let's just, I want to give you an example of this. And we're going back to David. So um, uh, in your Bibles, go back in the Old Testament to 1 Samuel chapter 30. Uh, so that is about a quarter of the way through your Bible. Um, or if you're not sure, just go to the front, look in the first book of the Bible, the book of contents. And um, there you And you can look there. So, 1 Samuel chapter 30. And I think this gives us an insight of what to do when you're stuck in the valley. And uh, this is David, a story about David, and it'll reference us back to Psalm 23. So, the situation says David is in exile, King Saul is harassed him so badly and tried to kill him so often he's had to leave the kingdom of Israel he's in exile with a group of his followers uh, they've gone off to fight and then they come back and they find that the Amicalites have raided where they live they've um, burnt down their houses they've taken all their livestock they've kidnapped their families who were not out on the raid and if we go to verse um, sorry the light's not great here verse 3 when David and his men reached Ziklag, which is where they lived, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captured, uh, Ahinoham of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But hear this. But David found strength in the Lord his God. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David is in death shadow valley here. So not only has he been put into exile for a long period of time, but now everything he has has been taken away from him. Because they don't know whether their families are alive or dead at this point. So his family's gone. Uh, everything he owns is gone. His house is standing there over the, 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 the embers of his burnt out home. Uh, and even now his leadership is under threat. His, his men are wanting to stone him because they're so distraught by all. Everything is gone. David is in the darkest of pits, potentially, here. And yet we're told uh, that there's just these amazing words where it says, David found strength in the Lord his God. It's, it's the choice that David made in this situation. It references back to Psalm 23, where David made the choice, I will fear no evil. And again, it's for the same reason because you are with me. 
You see, David had this unyielding trust that God is good and God would care for him. God was his shepherd. Even though he couldn't see the outcome at this point, he, he had this foundational understanding that God is a good God and God is always to be trusted, even when you can't see the way out of the valley in that moment. It's almost like we can hear God saying to David, and then David almost saying it as a, as a thing to himself. He's saying, deep breaths, David. Deep breaths, David. My comfort is with you. And so David has that remarkable insight, uh, at which, we, which I just find so challenging, finding strength in the Lord is God. And um, so I want to take us to one more passage now, just to help us think through the next step, which is how does God lead us out of the valley? Because here we've got David stuck in a dark valley. Uh, how does God lead us out? So we're going to go to a different story. Uh, we're, going, uh, we're going to go to John chapter 21. So if you want to jump over there with me. So John 21, and this is about Peter. I like Peter a lot because he makes lots of mistakes, and um, so I resonate with him. And um, the story here is uh, we're a couple of chapters after the arrest and the trial of Jesus. Uh, When Jesus was arrested, um, Peter, whom Jesus nicknamed Rocky most of the time, I know it says the rock, but that was kind of prophetic at that point. While he was on earth, really, Peter was rocky rather than the rock. So, um, and when Jesus is arrested, Peter um, is asked, is standing in the courtyard where Jesus is being interrogated. He's standing in front of this charcoal fire. And this servant girl comes up to him. And three times he's asked, do you know Jesus? Are you a friend of Jesus? Three times Peter denies Jesus. Where we got here in John 21 is obviously Jesus has been crucified. He's risen from the dead. He's started to appear to the disciples. He's appeared to a group with Jesus, sorry, with Peter uh, in it. Um, But Peter, even though he's seen the risen Jesus, he's denied Jesus. He says, I'm no longer your disciple. So he doesn't view himself as a disciple of Jesus. He thinks he's forfeited that opportunity, that right. And so what Peter does in chapter 21, verse 3, is he goes back to what he knew before he met Jesus. So verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told the disciples. And they said, because they're all friends, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you caught any fish? No, they answered, probably grumpily. Um, He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. And at this point, just stepping out of the reading, at this point, I wonder if in the back of their mind, a little light is going on and the disciples are being reminded of the time when they were first called by Jesus as fishermen. Uh, Let me read this. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Uh, It's interesting. Uh, Here we, verse 9, it says there's a fire of burning coals. Uh, 
it's this very unusual word, means charcoal fire. It only occurs twice in the whole Bible. One time it occurs here, and the other time it's back in John's Gospel where Peter denies Jesus. It's the charcoal fire which he's standing around. Then what happens is this. They have some breakfast together, and um, we jump on to verse 15. Uh, and Jesus starts to talk to Peter. He says, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Uh, and, and the word for love, as you know in Greek, there's lots of words for love. This is agape love, which is like sacrificial love, Jesus asks. Uh, Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. The word he uses is friendship love. Uh, I'm, I'm, your, I'm, I'm a friend of yours. Uh, Jesus says, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of Jacob, do you love me? Do you agape love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Friendship love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. The third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you friendship love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I friendship love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. So three times in front of a charcoal fire, Jesus, the servant king, says to Peter, do you love me? Are you my going to be my friend you sacrifice everything for me it's almost like he's deliberately echoing the time where peter completely failed in order to bring restoration to peter peter's in this deep dark valley where he feels like he's so messed up there is no way out of this valley and what jesus does is jesus come walks himself into the valley he finds peter in the darkest point of this valley and he says this is the pathway out of the valley now, when Jesus takes us on a pathway out of the valley, he, it's not always going to be an easy path. It's not always going to be a comfortable path. In this uh, particular situation, uh, Jesus um, had to force Peter to confront what had gone on, to face up to it so it could be healed, so that Peter could move on. But here's the thing which we could take out from this, which is Jesus would always show us a pathway out of the valley. Because he's a good shepherd. Sometimes he'll take his club and break our leg in order to wrap us around his shoulders in order to lift us out of the valley. Sometimes he'll take a staff and just coax us and love us out of the valley. But he'll always show us a pathway out of the valley, even when we've brought ourselves into that place. So there's a tremendous hope that's here. And I think what God would say to us is, um, if you feel like you're in a valley, just pause and allow him to help you to stop hyperventilating. Embrace his comfort. Allow his presence to come on you so that you can breathe deeply again. And trust that as we begin to focus again on, on Jesus and upon who he is, he'll begin to speak to us a word. And that word will be characterized by grace and by hope and by faith. It won't be one of condemnation. It'll be challenge, but it won't be condemnation. And it'll be one that gives us a sense of here's a pathway out of this valley. Because he's a good God and he longs to take us to the mountaintops. He really does. And there'll be many times when we're in the mountaintop. But that's 
what we need to learn to we need to learn to embrace the valley and not run away from it and as we meet with God in the valley we're going to be so strengthened and so enriched so that we can be far more fruitful far more effective for God in the long run so we're going to pray now and then and uh, Beth and the team are going to lead us in worship and into communion um, and Dan's going to come up in just a moment to, to lead communion but um, before he does that, I'd like to pray um, for anyone who feels like they're in a valley right now that um, you just experience God's comfort and presence and his word to you and that as we share in communion together that that would um, be something that helps you uh, hear the Lord and hear his voice so I'm going to get you to do a bold thing which is if you feel like I'm not going to ask anyone what it is but if you feel like you're in a valley whether it's a big valley or a little valley would you just stand please I'm going to pray over you okay there's more than that I know so there's more of you need to stand So Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are our good shepherd. We thank you for your, um, for your lovely presence with us. Father, we want to pray for those of us who are standing this morning that you would um, bring your comfort. Lord, you would show us how to stop hyperventilating and how to Uh, learn again to breathe deeply with you that we would receive your breath of life into us again father we uh, we pray for those who are in a season of pruning that uh, you would bring faith and 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 hope that whilst they whilst so is to focus on the loss in those times um, that you would remind us in seasons of pruning of the fruit that is to come Lord, we pray for those who feel like they're in the darkest valley, that you would remind them of the mountaintops that lie ahead. Father, we pray that you would birth faith and hope in people's hearts, that there are better things to come. And Lord, I pray for every single person, particularly for those standing, that they would hear your word to them. That word of grace, that word of hope, that word of life that brings comfort and brings hope and brings perspective and direction so lord we pray your blessing upon all those who are standing and we pray that they would uh, encounter you so richly and so deeply in this valley in jesus name